We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. The score! This hour is being brought to you by Cars for Kids. Call 1-877-CARS with a K, the number 4, KIDS. Bernstein and Holmes, middays 10 to 2 on 670 The Score. Giannis, sideline left, still holding, still looking, has to hurry, and DeRozan stole the ball to Io, to the rack of the right-handed dunk, and we're tied at 106. DeRozan gives it up to Boots, topside D3, bam! Onions, baby onions! The Boots for three, and the Bulls lead, 111 to 110 with 128 left in OT. Midcourt, George Hill puts it on the floor, pull up 30-footer, no good, ball game over! Bulls win! Bulls win! Bulls win! 119-113. Let's dance in Chicago. Ah! Uh. Reminds me of Super Bowl halftime last year where everybody said, you're going to find out who your parents really are. I mean, some places, if you put knuck, if you buck on, it is problematic. <laughs> there was a reporter in Austin who played it, and his kids started, like, randomly dancing. He's, like, one or two. Had to be probably two. You play it in like, the wrong oh, place, some furniture going to be moving. You have that talking to you, young child. Cody, where do you stand on Nuck If You Buck? As a country music fan, <laughs> you can I still, don't you have can still observe it. a lot of uh, opinions on it. But certainly uh, entertaining anytime. It instigates a certain type of fight energy, if you will. Grayson Allen fight energy. I mean, that's kind of my idea about it. Like, I don't know who's running music at the United Center during games, but I might play Knuck If You Buck after Grayson Allen does something ill advised. And it works on multiple levels. It does. But then sometimes it works too well. Like, you're not going to play Knuck If You Buck after the, like, say, the MMA fight from a few years ago where, like, the fight never happened, but then there were fights surrounding the fight. Do you remember that one? Yes. Forgive me for not remembering who... Was it? Was that a Habib fight? I forget. More than likely. Yes, it was, because his dad went all Persian dad on him. R.I.P. But we digress. He basically... Habib Nurmagomedov's dad said, like, the punishment I have will be much worse than any other punishment. And I was like, oh... That that hits close to home. That's the a good tone. quote. That's a good quote. The, the emphaticness of it all. Cody Westerling covers the Bulls for us. He does an incredible job of it. You can check out his work at 670thescore.com. And occasionally he comes and stops by and he explains to us what's going on with the basketball team that he covers. So what do you take away from last night's game, Cody? DeMar DeRozan was awesome. Yes, he was. Absolutely spectacular. I mean... You look at that game, and it feels like Giannis is dominating, obviously, and he did with the 45 points. But um, you don't realize that the Bulls the Bulls don't have a shot at all without everything DeMar did in every aspect. And that wasn't just the 42 points. I mean, we're looking at the charge he took on Giannis with about five minutes left in regulation that 
really turned the momentum a little bit. Just it felt like if Giannis had gotten the three-point play after it was reviewed and, and challenged by Billy Donovan, if the Bulls hadn't gotten that call, that the game's probably over. And then you go to overtime, the Bulls scored 13 points, and he had 10 of them. And he drew the defense to throw the ball to Vooch for the other three on a on a three-pointer. And just an absolutely amazing performance by him to pull out a victory that the Bulls probably shouldn't have had anytime you trail by 11 in the final minutes. Am I making too much of the fact that there were moments in that, that comeback and win where it felt like Zach had disappeared? Yeah. Making too much of it? Yeah. Because I, I, I was watching him like... I'm glad that DeMar's doing his thing. Vooch came up with a really big shot at the end. But I'm sitting there like, where's Zach in this? Yeah, he, I was thinking, I'd have to go back, and we were talking about this, the beat writers after the game. I'd have to go back and look, but like, I can't remember how many times he touched the ball in overtime, right? Like, it was going through DeMar the whole time. They left Pat Williams open for a couple threes and, and moved the ball there. But I, I don't think... I don't think it's a big deal because DeMar was on such a heater and it was so obvious that it would have been ill-advised to me if the Bulls would have forced the ball to Zach Levine when DeMar was in such a rhythm, right? And they were getting the good shots on the possessions that DeMar didn't shoot, right? Like Vooch got the good look. Patrick Williams got a couple open looks uh, in overtime out of that. So Zach Zach hit the three, I think, to pull the Bulls within six with about two minutes left. I think he got the free throw line there. He drove to the hoop, had the pass to DeMar for the layup that cut it to two. So he was involved late in regulation, certainly. But in overtime, it was the DeMar show. It was the DeMar show on one end. It was the Giannis show on the other end. One of those two guys made more shots, and I think Giannis was probably... He was spent, man. Like, I just think he expended so much energy. I think he shot one of eight in overtime, and like three or four of those were short um, on his jump shot. I do feel like as good as DeMar was in the extra frame that the Bulls also were slow out of the gate. Like, some some really good defense helped put them back in. Turnover-minded defense. Well, they were still, I mean, they were down four and didn't have the ball, and overtime was half over, right? Right. There's there's a thousand possessions in NBA games. Um, So that's certainly always a surmountable thing but like it was a bad start in overtime certainly um when they they left p will open i think p will had one drive to the hoop that was a little ill-advised in overtime when he shouldn't have gone i think he went at Giannis and, and kind of forced a shot but the bulls showed you something last night in the sense that that they aren't going to quit which is weird to say because it feels like sometimes they quit at the start of games against bad teams of you guys as you guys have been detailed 18 uh, uh, points in less than the, the five starting, minutes against were, the Rockets they, don't they were down start, 23 to 5 it's like they, hey the there's Rockets. a team on the court they're gonna do things they don't start the engine early enough there but Billy's um, boys don't quit except this dark. Ricky Renneria would be so proud so proud just kept fighting like Zach Levine said and no he makes quitting. a meme queso um but yeah I mean I thought I thought the game mattered in the sense of I thought from a strategical standpoint, the Bulls figured it out as the game went along. Like Grayson Allen, public enemy number one here, had three or four shots that could have put the Bulls away wide open. And the Bulls were like, hey, Giannis isn't going to beat us in the final five or six minutes of this game. Like he's going to get his points, but someone else is going to have to beat us. No one on the Bucks did late in regulation. No one on the Bucks certainly did um, in overtime when Giannis shot most all the Bucks shots, certainly. But stylistically, they said someone else has to beat us on a night Middleton and Holiday are out and the Bucks couldn't do that. I mean, that's it to me is is I've seen that philosophy work for a lot of teams where they're like, okay, we're going to let that guy get his. 
But he got his at an extraordinary rate for him to have 45 and 22. That's one of his best regular season games ever. And I didn't think the Bulls played him that bad, right? Like, two of his shots in the first quarter or first half were just wild bounces where the ball bounced to Giannis right at the rim off loose balls that the Bulls were hustling for, and he got dunks, right? And then he does the thing where he just barrels into you and creates space, and then what he does is he has the length – and explosiveness to whatever small margin of space he has, it's over. Like, that's what he does. I thought P. Will most of the night did a good job being on him body to body, taking those hits. I thought the places where the Bulls did a poor job on Giannis was when you saw it a few times, Io DeSumo wasn't helping, like, right at free throw line level. So Giannis would hit P. Will, and then there's lots of space, then he just goes around and and dunks or makes a layup like that second guy has to be there and there are stretches in the middle of the game second half where they didn't do a good enough job whether it was io zach damar these wing defenders once the bulls got that locked in like the last play of regulation for the bucks i thought was fascinating right like mm-hmm. three bulls right on Giannis. i think javante green and damar on either side after p wills obviously in the middle playing him heads up one-on-one and then forced to travel and you're like is it a travel like are they going to call it well is it a travel but it was a huge play because George Hill was wide open under the hoop if Giannis had kept his pivot foot, and it could be a different discussion if the Bucks make a game-winning layup at the buzzer. And just the simple fundamental of, of like, birch tree defense. Just stick your arms up and hope the arms do something, and it's wild. It never ceases to amaze me how often that Yeah, and it's works. interesting, right? So, like, Giannis is probably the, I mean, hardest person in the NBA from a physical standpoint to defend. We were talking about and, his refereeing as well. Yeah, and the Bulls, again, he went for 45. He was great. But the Bulls, I mean, they made it as hard as they could. And again, I didn't think there were like systemic breakdowns in their defense. It's just tip your hat to Giannis. But the Bulls can handle one athletic guy, but you send five out there and you get overwhelmed sometimes, like you said, these younger, more athletic teams. Then it is like a culture shock or a system shock for the Bulls. And they get in some trouble when they face those teams um, in that sense, and if Holiday and Middleton were out there with more talent and and better athleticism, it probably would have been a b- bigger problem, no doubt. Cody, you watch every team that comes into town. You've seen the entire league. You've you are been covering the Bulls for a while, and you talk to people all over the place. What is the challenge of refereeing Giannis? Oh, I mean, it's the reason it's so difficult is because there's so much contact every play, and you're trying to decide, did he do anything illegal to create that is it incidental and both people are finding play on or did he have an advantage and the defender was out of space and then like Giannis the other thing it's kind of like soccer right the world cup just ended there are going to be times when Giannis is fouled and it's better for the bucks if you just let him play on and dunk rather than calling a blocking foul because he's so big and huge and they'd probably rather have that dunk than have a side out of bounds you know um in some cases there so uh, that's why it's so difficult. It's He's totally different from, I mean, you think back years ago to Shaq a couple decades ago. He's so hard because he's on the block and his back's to the basket. Giannis's back isn't to the basket. I mean, he's a seven-foot point guard who does not have superb dribbling ability, but good enough to get to the hoop consistently again and again and be confident in it. 
And then he's got the spin move back into the lane if he goes left and wants to spin right or vice versa. So uh, it's just a, it's just a situation where there's so much contact every single play, you can't call it every single time, and you're trying to decipher who was in the right and wrong for whatever small advantage was earned at that point. It is really funny that Brooke Lopez and the spacing still somehow works out to where we're having this conversation. Like Even that is something to appreciate about that team well yeah the bucks do such a good job spreading the floor right when they're fully healthy and i mean they didn't shoot three pointers well at all last night just checking there at nine of 44 is just abysmal for them grayson allen was abysmal from three-point range a good but, reason the bulls won but they and open I hope up they the middle they open up the middle for Giannis time and time and time again um and that's what they do so um again good win for the bulls five and one now i think against the east top three teams in the celtics Nets and certainly the Bucks here. They're two and zero against them with a home win and a road win. So you see, you see the the silver lining a little bit for the Bulls, but at the same time, um, it's just it's got to be every night, and that's the question. And Billy Donovan was talking about it before the game started last night. Like he was putting the blame on himself for not having the Bulls ready for the Rockets from the standpoint of his message wanted to be we can't overlook them, and he said that. But apparently he thought he should have devoted far more time and shoot around. I don't know if he wanted to keep them for an extra 20 minutes after the bell rang or something to just keep pounding that um, into their heads. But I I felt like that more for Billy last night saying that, trying to take blame for the loss of the Rockets retroactively two days later. I thought that was just kind of coach speak, and it didn't have a lot of meaning to me because I put it more on the players to not overlook someone, right? Like Mm -hmm. if there was something in the game plan that had been a disaster in that game, um, then I think you would pinpoint it on the coaching staff more. And I felt like it was more the team being flat footed um, on that Monday night game. And they responded like you want them to on Wednesday with the win against the Bucks. What was the reaction to Grayson Allen inside the Bulls locker room? Um, I would not say anger. I would say annoyed is probably the best way uh, to recap that. Zach Levine just kind of, he mentioned the track record. Billy Donovan mentioned the track record. They were kind of exasperated by the play and having to deal with it again. No one was like, that's a dirty play. Like, they were far more fired up about the Alex Crusoe play, obviously, last year, because that was a dirty play. This was an exaggerated play that was annoying to get an elbow into the side of you or your back. Um, But that was not, the play last night with Grayson Allen, I did not think was that big of a deal personally. The Bulls, and when you're involved in it, are going to think it's a little bit bigger of a deal, but it was not like headline worthy, they're mad, and now it's all over national headlines type thing, like the one last year, certainly. So um, they're just, they're really tired of the guy. They're annoyed by him. They don't like him. Uh, And DeMar pretty much said it. It wasn't the play and like him thinking he was hurt and it was dirty as much as it was the person. Um, and because he mentioned the track record a little bit too, um, and the surprise of the play kind of getting elbowed there. So it's like you said, I mean, you've played this, talked about it for the first hour. Like Derek Jones Jr. put out really hard foul on Grayson Allen last year. DeMar confronted him. So like, to me, it's like the bulls are doing what they need to do without going too far. Like you don't need to do something that gets guys suspended on your team. I don't think that's going to be helpful for the Bulls. I thought the the hard foul by Derek Jones Jr. last year I thought was perfect, right? Like that's the guy who should be doing it. A guy in the rotation, but like Zach and DeMar shouldn't be going out there picking up a foul, flagrant foul, stuff like that. Don't um, get so, your hands dirty. So I thought I thought DeMar handled it well. He confronted him and then he went out there and lit the bucks up for the third quarter, the fourth quarter, uh in overtime. So um really annoyed, but I wouldn't say like running through the wall angry or anything this time. Cody, we appreciate your time, sir. 
Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us. Good to see you, Cody. We'd spend more time with you, but we got a guest coming up in a few minutes. Can't wait to hear it. Yeah, it'll be Jordan Palmer. It's kind of interesting what he's doing. But we we loved when you're here on Thursdays, like just in the office. I know, like it is nice, you. yeah. I miss seeing him at Bulls games. He's a fantastic creepy, shortstop, too, by the way. I'm I'm always texting everyone in the office, making sure someone will be in. So there's people roaming out there in the hallways when I'm in. All right, yeah, but it's, they're not you. Yeah, that's true. It's just it's, in it's, charge of stuff. It's just it's just holidays here, you know. You never know who's in and out right now. It's true. I'm in for Dan today, for example. There you go. How about that? Yeah, Dan Mexico. Ooh. I, Dan I need Mexico. to check his Twitter account. I haven't checked in the last twenty four hours. He hasn't really he hasn't really done anything outside of the luchador mask, right? Okay. I think Dan might be enjoying his vacation. What? I know that's it's big if true. He said he was going to. He he used to be the guy that worked all five days. It's uh, between Christmas and New Year's. So. He said that he was going to, because number one, someone else is paying for this. So if someone else wanted to take me to Cabo, I'd be like, all right, bet. Also, it was Jay's birthday on Sunday. We're going to need to hear those stories. When right? Yeah, yeah. Somebody's got to make sure that happens. Because he turned 18. In and, Mexico. And that's the legal drinking age down there. So I believe he had himself an adult beverage. Can't wait till Dan tells us the stories. It's going to be. Can't awesome. you make them say it on their podcast? Aren't you in charge of that kind of? Uh, I I'm in charge of. I can help share it. I don't know how much I drive. We might have to text Campy on yeah, that Rick, one. Rick Campy to, I just to need drive somebody, the conversation. I need somebody to make them talk about it. Is the thing. That's I'll true. make them talk about it on Monday. Okay, on Tuesday. Good. Just one of yous. One of us. I'll do that. Cody, thank you. Appreciate it. Good to see you, Cody. That's Cody Westerlin of our staff. Check out his work on 670thescore.com. When we come back, we're having Jordan Palmer on the show. And the reason that we're having Jordan Palmer on the show is because he's doing something that's kind of unique. And we talk a lot about youth sports on this show. So I, I think it's appropriate to have him on to discuss this thing that he's doing. You'll understand better after he jumps onto the show. We will do that next here on The Score. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Bernstein and Holmes, midday 10 to 2 on Sports Radio 670 The Score. And 670thescore.com in Odyssey Odyssey Station. Coming up on five minutes left in the third quarter. Red Raiders by five. They shift into a wing left formation and Sears comes in motion right. Palmer off the play fake, being blitzed. Gets away, coming left. 45, 40, first down at the 30, the 20. Palmer to the 15, the 10. Palmer at the five. He dives. He's out of bounds at the three-yard line. Triple eye in the backfield. Palmer, play fake, rolling right, dumps it off. Sears at the goal line. Touchdown, Fighters! Back in the day, Jordan Palmer used to get it done for UTEP. Now he's out here helping young quarterbacks. And I was scrolling through Instagram, and I think I saw it on a reel. And I was like, we got to get Jordan Palmer on the show because we've been talking about specifically how expensive 
it's become to get to the next level of quarterbacking because you have guys that have private tutors and QB gurus and coaches that they can afford, and a bunch of those guys are now playing in the NFL. One of them plays for the Chicago Bears in Justin Fields, but there are kids who are getting priced out of the quarterback position. They're getting priced out of youth sports. Let's just say it. It's true. Things that shouldn't be expensive and weren't expensive when, say, you and I are growing up have now been unnecessarily made expensive. So that's why I was really interested in the Summit Tour 2023, which Jordan Palmer is helming up, and it's actually coming to Chicago, which is part of the reason that we are talking to him on Circa Resort and Casino Hotline. Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. Jordan, thanks for joining us. What made you start the Summit Tour? Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, I've been coaching quarterbacks, uh, so I'm 38 years old, and uh, I feel like I was a bear not that long ago. 2014. Um, but uh, is that what it was? Yeah. Yep. Um, I, I always remember, like, off of what team I was on based off who was in the room, not what year it was. But um, but uh, I've been coaching, I mean, really since I was in college. But throughout my NFL career, I did things for the Elite 11 around the country. Um, the first guy I ever trained for the NFL draft was Blake Bortles. I was a bear. Um, I literally left off-season workouts to fly to New York. I got dressed in Hallis Hall in a suit, flew to New York, and went right to the green room. Um, so I was a current player training a guy for the draft. And um, and so I've been training these guys for forever, and I started doing these camps in Southern California, and, and pretty much all the kids were not from California. They are flying here from every state. And uh, so I, I did a tour last year. I did stops around the country. Um, it was a hit. And uh, so I'm coming back again, and I got eight stops around the country, and Chicago is one of them. I know it's common in sports where guys will trade ideas or they'll talk to each other about what they're working on. That that we know. But for you to get to the point where you decided this is something I want to do in a more serious space and dedicate more time and effort to, what spoke to you to start going in that direction? Well, I I, uh, I think I get, and anybody in the, in, that does similar stuff to me, you know, you, you get attached to the, the bigger names, right? So the famous guys that I either have worked with or I am working with, um, and that and that's fine, but I never want to not work with the regular kid. That's what I call him. Like the kid who might just start his senior year of high school. You know what I mean? And that might be it. But he's been working for three years for that moment. And uh, I definitely have kids that, you know, I've worked with a bunch of number one picks and Heisman Trophy winners, national champs, all that stuff too. But I, I always want to create space for that. I, I don't really um, do privates and things like that in my hometown. Uh, and so this is a way for kids around the country to come. Um, there's scholarship opportunities as well. Uh, and so it moves me around the country. And I have a thing called, uh, I launched during COVID called Summit Digital. Um, it's been incredible. That's a much lower price point. And I zoom every Sunday and there's over a hundred pieces of content in there. So I've got really something for everybody. And the, the principles of what I work with, some of the most, some of the most elite players in the NFL right now in college right now, those principles, it's the same thing with young guys. Um, and I don't have like middle school and high school drills. It's the same philosophy uh, and the same programming. So it's super fun right now. I'm able to work with some of the best guys on Sunday, some of the best guys on Saturdays. And uh, I, last year on, on the tour, we had 300 people from 47 states. Um, and so, and on my online program, we've got kids from all 50 states and five countries. So really just looking to expand 
um, the position in the sport and, and grow it. There's a, a democratic like element to this, Jordan, which is part of the reason that I wanted to talk to you about it. Because there are so many athletes now that are kind of being left behind at that position because there are kids that can afford to hire a private quarterback coach. And maybe those kids end up being the starter for a team because they're more skilled, even though the athletic talent of someone else could elevate the team even more if they had the same type of training. How much did that go into your thinking on going out and kind of barnstorming to help as many kids as possible? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think um, the, the price aspect is it's never – things are getting more expensive, you know, but that's never not been the case, right, where there's private – some people have access to private stuff, some people don't. What is changing is the amount of opportunities to develop as a quarterback. This is kind of crazy. When I was in middle school, uh, my brother Carson Palmer is four and a half years older than me. So he started training with a guy named Bob Johnson. Bob Johnson created the Elite 11. Bob Johnson was my high school coach. But Bob Johnson was really, the, as far as we know, the first guy to charge money for a quarterback lesson. Okay, this is probably around like 94, like 1993, 1994. And you fast forward. So we were just lucky that that guy lived down the street and my dad heard about him, right? Mm. <laughs> it was, it was before the internet. And now, I mean, there's gurus, if you want to call them, like on every street corner. And people are going to other camps, taking things. Guys are getting cut, getting uh, not moving on after college, playing quarterback, starting a quarterback coaching business. The amount of time I spent on the phone in a year mentoring young quarterbacks who just got done playing who were trying to start a coaching business. So the access to quality information, the democratization of the education of this position has never been this easy. The barrier to entry has never been lower. You can go on YouTube and learn a ton. And so I don't think it's actually changed at all. There, my camps are really expensive, and there's a lot of them really expensive. Well, you got to look at what you're investing in. Are you investing in experience? Are you investing in something you can take and move forward with? And so I, that's why I've created it that way, where there's also the follow-ups online. Because the kids who really want it, what I'm experiencing, and again, across the country, are finding it, right? You, didn't, you, you couldn't before you couldn't just watch a video and learn something that could totally change your game. And you can now. And, and it's like that in every sport as well. But with quarterback, this is a premium. And now with guys making money in college and now making money in high school, um, I, I, the conversation I have with a lot of parents is advising them on how to invest in the upcoming year in their kid's career. from Not from a coaching perspective, from coaching, from nutrition, from all of the different things that they're going to do. Uh, and then bringing the kid into that so they look at the year as an investment from time, effort, energy, and resources And when I see kids do that two, three, four years in a row, they reach their potential. And for me, that's really the goal is to reach their potential. Carson, you've been at this a while now. You've seen a lot of quarterbacks. You mentioned Blake Bortles. I have to ask you, what do you think of Justin Fields and what he's done so far in the past couple of years here? Uh, I'm a big Justin fan. I've been around him since high school. Um, You know, I think. Chicago is a different media base. Most people don't realize Chicago is actually the biggest media market. The players don't realize that because LA and New York split with two teams. And so, and when I was a bear, I learned that and it's different. And you have to have to be the quarterback of the bears. You have to, in my opinion, to be successful. And by the way, I played on seven teams. And at the end of my career, my wife asked me one day, she goes, so if you had to pick a team to be a fan of, who would it be? And like, I, I never thought about it before I go Chicago. 
That was my favorite experience. I love the history. I love the city. I love like the old ladies I'd meet at Bourbonnet who've been going to games since they were little girls. Like <laughs> it was so cool. So being the Bears quarterback is different. It's a Laker. It's a Yankee as far as I'm concerned. And so it's just without the legacy, right? It's not like some long list of these legendary Hall of Fame quarterbacks for Chicago. But with the, but the, the scrutiny and the importance and the relevance, like, yeah, it's a Laker or a Yankee as far as I'm concerned. So you have to have that. That was always my problem with Mitch Trubisky is when Ryan Day took him, I, or Ryan Pace took him, I just never saw anything in his life before he was a Bear that made me go, yeah, he'll be fine with handling Chicago. I never saw it. Doesn't mean he wouldn't be cap- couldn't become capable of it, but I never saw it. With Justin, being the type of recruit that he was and the eyes that he's had on him since he was 15, I think he's conditioned for it. Now, the evolution of his game, and you guys are going to end up talking about this later today because this is a different, po- different take here. My concern is that he becomes Derrick Rose. There's Why? an evolution that happens with playmakers. There's an evolution that happens with playmakers at quarterback. Okay? You get five-star ratings and big-time offers based off your ability to make plays. Okay? So these young guys. I'm uniquely positioned to have this opinion. Okay? Young guys, you got to make plays. You can't be a, a game manager in high school and get offers from Bama. Right? You got to make plays. Then you go to college and you got to make plays. And then you're also now learning how to put the ball in play, right? You're learning how to distribute it and take the check down and take what they give you. When you get to the NFL, this game is about putting the ball in play. And if you're capable of making a play when it's there, make it. But we certainly have great quarterbacks like the greatest ever in Tom Brady who don't make plays. They just are world-class at putting the ball in play. So, Derek got hurt, and I don't follow basketball the way you guys do, but Derek was an MVP, right? We all remember that moment. The Rose isn't there. And he was a scorer, and he was a threat. He was unbelievable. He's like my favorite player to watch. And the injuries, because of the way he played, I mean, he never really turned into the guy who could make plays but became a distributor and became a guy who's 14 years in still doing it at a high level, right? That's my concern with Justin, with his second or third coordinator or whatever it is. Is he's showing the playmaking ability at the NFL level in a way that he didn't do in college. But can they get a system around him? Can they get personnel around him? Can they get continuity around him, which is much more important than fans and media understand, to allow him to use the playmaking when he needs it to turn into a distributor? Because that's what we see in Josh Allen right now. That's what we see in Patrick Mahomes right now. They're world-class playmakers, but they are distributors of the football. And that's going to be the evolution of, of Justin. Can't wait to see how it unfolds. We're talking to the people's quarterback guru, Jordan Palmer, right now in the score. And I want to follow up on what you're saying because I think you can tell that there is an internal pressure and you know better than we do. Players are wired to make something happen. You're wired to get yards every play. You're wired to try to score every play. And are you seeing that internal pressure of a guy saying, I know I can convert this third down. But what are we trying to work on as far as like perhaps the RPO or something like that? You can speak to that better than either one of us can. Well, let me show you. Let me give you an example of Josh Allen. I've been around Josh Allen since a sophomore year in college, right? And and, and work with him still. So um, there was something that happened in, in, at Wyoming. He, he His sophomore year, I don't remember what year it was, but when he became like a thing that everyone was paying attention to, he was rolling right versus Boise State. And he's running full speed to the right, and he throws this ball like 45 yards in the air, back corner of the end zone, unbelievable. And it was like the highlight where everyone goes, dude, you see the Wyoming kid, right? 
And then he got so much better, he kind of started doing that. And then he got drafted high. He goes to the NFL, and his first year in the league, like, he's rolling right. And he threw a lot of picks. He threw a couple unbelievable completions. He threw probably a couple of touchdowns. But what I did is we sat, and then Buffalo ended up doing this too with him, is we sat and we took inventory of every single time you roll to your right, what happens? And I don't remember the numbers, but it was like a couple of um, bad decisions and a couple of great throws, whatever. But it was like 47 hits, 47 times you landed on your right shoulder. Mm. You're 240, somebody pushed you and you landed on your right shoulder. Let's just do math. You have to remove that. That has to become a part of your game where you're hypersensitive and conscious to what you're going to do with the ball in your hand. Last, uh, two years ago when he went nuts and had that crazy year, he hit the ground rolling to his right like four times. So it's a conscious effort not to stop rolling to the right, but to take inventory of what element of my game, just like I need to work on my step-back jumper. I need to work on my crossover, step, pump fake, go, whatever the move is. Got to approach it the same way. And so you got to look at what the player does great, what they when they put themselves in compromising positions, right? Guys are going to run and get hit. You are. You're not going to tell Justin Fields or Josh Allen, don't go for the first down on third and seven. I'm going to say it to them. They're going to go for it. But there's ways to do it to protect themselves, and there's ways to take their strengths, in both those cases mobility, and turn it into a position where they use it to create opportunities to get rid of the football and create a high percentage uh, catch as opposed to just make a play. Jordan, we appreciate the the breakdown on Justin Fields for sure. The summit is coming to Chicago May twentieth and twenty first next year. So, how can people get their quarterback involved in it? Yeah, so QBSummit.com. dot com. Um, look, I, I've been doing this a long time, and um, what I've built is a transformative weekend. So, middle school and high school. What I would say, when, you know, I a lot of emails talk to a lot of folks is is you have to look at the position the right way and i changed the lens at which quarterbacks and the parents look at the position what is the actual goal here and how do you actually build a framework for find out exactly what you're doing inefficiently and then leave with a plan for how you do it it's not the funnest weekend ever it's not i don't think that's how we do it um but what it is, is it's a created an environment where parents and players can get the most answers as to what's going on with their, the way they throw, the way they move, and then more importantly, a plan moving forward specific to them of what they can do with the rest of their offseason. Um, and uh, it's been incredible. And got some Summit kids that are now playing in college and pro, which is crazy. Been doing this for a long time. Jordan, thanks for the time and the information. This was delightful, man. Let's do this again soon. Let's do it. I love it. Like I said, I'm I'm a Bears fan. I, mean, I got guys on every team, so I'm not a fan of any team, but I, I love it. Chicago's my favorite spot. You're welcome in the media crew anytime. Yeah, Jordan. thank you. And when you're here in May, you're more the we would love for you to come and hang out in the studio. And frankly, talk more basketball too if you want. We we do that a lot here. No doubt about it. Jordan, be well and good luck with this. Thanks so much. That is Jordan Palmer. I enjoyed that conversation quite a bit. There's some people you just want to take classes from. Right. And you should go to Jordan's Instagram, too. Like, he's got his link tree for everything. A link to his Instagram. And Jordan Palmer is his Instagram. If, you want to, if you're on the gram, it's right there for you. You can check it out. Yeah, he's posted a lot of uh, 
the information about when he's coming where and and which uh you know where where the camps are basically you should let you think he let us on the sideline for that right i don't know and you know what getting him in studio should not be hard at all because he's a wilson football guy and they're in the building here too i i can have a confession okay i need to go to their store the wilson store it's on oak i think or near Oak. Or we could, I know some people over there. Yeah, I want to see it. They were uh, they were taking a picture of a really cool special basketball that I don't know if I can talk about one time oh. when I was upstairs recently. And I was like, oh, we can't talk about this, can we? The nice folks over at Wilson Golf uh, gifted me some golf balls when they found out I was back playing again. Alyssa Bergamini does a lot of stuff with Wilson. See? So we'll get Jordan Palmer in here in May. And, and we'll uh, talk with him about... I, the in, the comp is pretty interesting. The Derrick Rose comp is interesting for Justin Fields. I was fascinated by that. Uh, we have a little uh, news, though. Breaking news on the 670 The Score is presented by BeckQL. Smarter bets start with BeckQL. Download the BeckQL app or visit BeckQL.com today. How about this from our Chris Emma? Emma? Emma, uh, reporting on Pete Thamel, a VSPN longtime, longtime college reporter. Okay. Big Ten Commissioner Kevin Warren is considered a top candidate to become the Bears' next president and CEO. Wow. He would replace a retiring Ted Phillips. Kevin Warren, who just conquered the country coast yeah. to coast and made everyone under the Big Ten umbrella? Are, wow. are you sure? Are you? Wow. that That is a mind-blowing concept. Because I don't know if there's a better job in sports right now than commissioner of the Big Ten. I mean. Wow. Yeah. But if you think about it, you would need someone like this to oversee the new thing that you're going to go do in Arlington Heights, right? think he's got a great job right now. I I think he has the best job in sports. I go back to the interview with Dave Rebson where he talks about how leadership mattered and how at the time when conference realignment, as we know it now, first took place, the Pac-12 and Big Ten were neck and neck and how Warren has helped put them so far ahead of the game. Yeah, well, they... They've been very, very lucky because both uh, Jim Delaney, the old commissioner of the Big Ten, really set them up for success. And then Warren came in and knocked it down. Like, wow. Is this is this kind of like if if there's a coaching job open at a school and then your school's big swinging alumni is like, yeah, man, we're going to get Sean Payton. And you're like, cool. Everybody says they're like when it was John Gruden back in the day. Is that one of these? Look. If I were the Bears, he would 100% be someone that I would want running the business uh, side of my team. Yeah, I'd want him at the score NBC5 too, but that's like that's what I'm trying to say here. It's like Well, they already got their Kevin Warren, Thanos over there, Cross. But you know what I'm saying. They already got one of those. Casey's Casey's one of us. I'm but, not willing to admit that he's ascended like he's, that yet. He's Thanos now. I don't want to talk about it. But Kevin Warren like that's shows you the draw and the allure of NFL and all of the things that one can do. And he might be one of these guys that's a builder. Like the the idea of building something and knowing that the Bears are figuratively and literally going to do that, 
might appeal to them. I mean, yeah, let's let's put it out there. Let's let's be part of the hype machine. Oh, can I can what's I take up, his Kevin job? Warren? Can you hang out with us? Wait, can I take his job though? Can I be a candidate to be the president of the Big Ten? What school, if you were the Big Ten commissioner, what school would you go after next? Uh, well, the problem with the Big Ten is that there's some really high academic standards. If I That's were pres- not a problem since they're schools. If, if I were president of the Big Ten, the next school that I would go after would be Notre Dame. All right. All right. That's your first answer in this interview. You know how you like to be on time? We're way past that. I think we exploded the clock. Yeah, we did. Um, how about this? Inst- we should probably still do the high noon, though, right? Best and worst of 2022. But I'm, there's no room for us to... I kind of want to keep talking about this. For the next five minutes, we got to take a break. Yeah, let's take a break and we'll figure it out next here on The Score. Bernstein at Homes, middays 10 to 2 on Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com in Odyssey Station. Bears. So there's a little bit more information on the Pete Thamel story. This is from our buddy Matt Fortuna. We love Matt Fortuna in this house. We really do. He covers college football for The Athletic. He's local. He says... Source, Big Ten Commissioner Kevin Warren has interviewed for the Chicago Bears president-CEO job multiple times in person and is among the finalists for the job. Chris Emma said, Kevin Warren was present for the Bears' October game at U.S. Bank Stadium, which he was pivotal in planning as the Vikings' COO. If he is hired by the Bears as president-CEO, as Pete Thamel reported, is an emerging possibility there's a leading influence for Arlington Park plans. In other words, the Bears want their own version of U.S. Bank Stadium, which makes a lot of sense. Kevin Fishbane, our friend, says, when you go through Kevin Warren's resume, his work with the Vikings' new stadium, being a part of a Super Bowl-winning Rams team early in his career, Big Ten expansion TV rights to his name, it's no surprise the Bears' ownership would be very, very interested I agree. Wait a second. This is a really good idea. By the Bears? Who are these guys? What? Bears. This is a move that would make all the sense in the world. Not only that, but they'd actually snag somebody from a pretty great job to I, have their job. And people are texting me, Lawrence, haven't you always said that Fitz is the best job? Fitz does have the best job in the history of jobs, but move over, Fitz. Fitz you might have some competition. Fitz is the best job security. Until Dr. Jim Phillips went to go run the ACC. They got a new stadium coming and stuff. He's still got a pretty great gig. He does have a great job, but Kevin Warren just took over the entire country. Pretty much the world. The Big Ten was like, you know what we'll do? We'll expand to the West Coast. Nobody saw that coming. And and you know what else we're going to do? We're going to have crazy television rights fees. And our, our institutions are all going to benefit from it. And if we want to expand, we can. All of their sports, not just their institutions, all of their sports. You know, you know like what the, the Big Ten like to softball, answer your question? Gymnastics. You know the you know who the Big Ten should go after? Us. Well, I want to be on this train. Let's go. Alabama. Oh, stop. <laughs> Do not make this about the SEC. No, they should just go and be like, you know what, SEC? We're gonna take Alabama. Now what? I got to say, 
If the Bears pull this off, we got to give him some real credit here. The fact that he's even interested and that they were able to convince him to talk, I think is a significant thing. 773 Texas, the Bears CEO, a better job than Big Ten commissioner. That's the question that he has to answer. That's the million dollar question for all of us. Because my initial reaction is way more than a million. No, but here's the thing. This is a man who has vision mm-hmm. ahead of, of what you and I and John Q. Public are thinking. Like, like I said, nobody saw USC and UCLA coming, right? Like that, that came out of nowhere and in an in instant changed the face of college athletics and TV rights deals at a time when you didn't think that the money could be moved in such a way. That is the person you want leading the organization, the whole thing. I'm talking about the organization. Just take it. Just I'm become cool Canadian. Well, look. Braxton we, Jones did it, so I'm going to do it. We're going to talk about this as more information comes out. 1245, it looks like we got some room. But when we come back. I got to process this. Way to go, Bears. Way to like, go, way Bears. Way to go, Bears. Even if you don't hire him, the fact that you got him to listen, I think, is key. Or you're listening to him. Taking ideas. Matt Bowen joins us to talk about all sorts of stuff. He's a Big Ten guy. Back after this in the score. Bears. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. 